is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Look. I'm not going to come behind this microphone and discuss the Alabama race day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. You're getting enough of this on other shows and you're getting it on TV. The people of Alabama will decide, and I think we can admit that it would be somewhat of a political miracle at this point if Roy Moore is able to pull this off. I mean, the, the media reports are constant and they are constantly negative. And that influences people, whether we like it or not, whether you like it or not. It influences people. I have a report here. We'll see that there's yet another woman coming forward and so forth. I don't know what to make of all this, but I do know this. There are problems in Capitol Hill. Very, very serious problems in Capitol Hill. Serious problems related to sexual harassment. I know there are many problems related to sexual harassment on Capitol Hill because we have members of Congress telling us there's problems of sexual harassment on Capitol Hill. Now, may I ask you a question? I don't happen to believe that every accuser is telling the truth. I don't happen to be, believe every accuser is telling a lie either. But we've had instances, very famous if not infamous instances, of absolute lies told about people and the media going along with them. The Duke Lacrosse case is the most obvious. And that went on and on and on and and it took uh took a hell of an effort to get to the truth, but the truth was gotten to through the legal system. This is not going to be addressed, at least before the election, through the legal system. The uh more Alabama situation. But here's my question to you. Why are not members of Congress coming under enormous heat over what members of Congress are saying, what takes place in Congress? I truly mean this. There's a CNN piece when I went off the air, I caught it, but it was published when I went off the air. More than 50 people describe sexual harassment on Capitol Hill. More than 50 people. Now, we are told when you get that many people lining up about something, it must be true. Be extra careful of the male lawmakers who sleep in their offices. They can be trouble. I'm just quoting from the article. Avoid finding yourself alone with a congressman or senator in elevators, late night meetings or events where alcohol is flowing. Think twice before speaking out about sexual harassment from a boss. It could cost you your career. These are a few of the unwritten rules that some female lawmakers, staff, and interns say they follow on Capitol Hill, where they say harassment and coercion is pervasive on both sides of the rotunda. The, there is also the creep list. 
an informal roster passed along by word of mouth consisting of the male members most notorious for inappropriate behavior, ranging from making sexually suggestive comments or gestures to seeking physical relations with younger employees and interns. CNN spoke with more than 50 lawmakers. Isn't that interesting, Mr. Producer, after I said, why the hell don't these reporters go down the street and interview these people? I said it last week, and I said it early this week. CNN spoke with more than 50 lawmakers, current and former Hill aides, and potential veterans who have worked in Congress, the majority of whom spoke anonymously to be candid and avoid potential repercussions. With few exceptions, every person said they have personally experienced sexual harassment on the Hill or know of others who have. In an environment with so many young women, said one ex-house aide, the men have no self-control. Amongst ourselves, we know a former Senate staffer of the lawmakers with the worst reputations, and sometimes the sexual advances from members of Congress or senior aides are reciprocated in the hopes of advancing one's career, what one political veteran bluntly referred to as sex trade on Capitol Hill. Now, again, this gets somewhat into a murky area. If it is a consensual relationship, it's a consensual relationship. I'm not talking about that. These anecdotes portray a workplace where women are subjected to constant harassment, both subtle and explicit. They are highlight. They also highlight an antiquated reporting system that discourages some victims from speaking out, leaving many professionals on the Hill to rely instead on hushed advice from peers and mentors. Yesterday I said that Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan should resign. Not intending to be provocative or controversial, they should resign. And by the way, it shouldn't be provocative or controversial. There's 100 members of the Senate. If you're running a small business and you have 100 employees, and sexual harassment is pervasive, that's the word they used, pervasive, then you should be fired. You're the boss. If you're the majority leader of the United States Senate and sexual harassment is pervasive, so pervasive that Chuck Grassley of Iowa and Christine Gillibrand of New York have introduced a resolution for mandatory, they call it mandatory sexual harassment training. I think what they mean is mandatory anti-sexual harassment training, uh, uh, training. If this is going on under your nose, not in Alabama, not at the Kennedy compound, not in Hollywood. If it's going on under your nose and you're in charge of the chamber, you're in charge of the Capitol Police, you're in charge of all these things, then you should be fired. And because they won't be fired, they should resign. Why is it that not a single person has gone up to Mitch McConnell and said, We understand your position with Roy Moore. And they can even say, we agree with your position on Roy Moore. But how can it be, Senator McConnell, how can it be, Speaker Ryan, that this kind of tawdry, even illegal activity, these abuses, can take place under your noses while you're the leaders of these chambers? 
On Tuesday, a House committee held a hearing to examine the Chamber's sexual harassment policies. And the Senate last week passed a resolution making sexual, sexual harassment training. They mean anti-sexual harassment training. You're not being trained to sexually harass. You're being trained against it. Sexual harassment training mandatory for senators, staff, and interns. Let me just stop there. Why would you need anti-sexual harassment training for senators? Do we have a problem with senators? No, we just want to make sure we don't. Why would you need to make sure you don't? Why would you need to make sure you don't? Because it's a problem, ladies and gentlemen. And there's a code of silence, as I said the other day, as if it's the mob. Or MS-13. There's a code of silence. As I speak to you behind this microphone, Ms. Gillibrand and Mr. Grassley are not revealing the names of United States senators who've been sexually harassing people. Jackie Spears, who testified so articulately in the House yesterday, she refuses to reveal the names of the Democrat and Republicans she referred to generally who were involved in sexual harassment. She won't reveal their names. And the media don't seem to give a damn. So on Tuesday, a House committee held a hearing to examine the Chamber's sexual harassment policies. The Senate last week passed that resolution. Two clear acknowledgments of the need for reform. Reform? Is this reform? Or the need to throw these bums out? How come there's no discussion about expelling members of the Senate or members of the House? If several people come forward and say that they were sexually harassed. I'm serious about this. How come Mitch McConnell hasn't said that if you're a senator, and I have no idea, but if you're a senator from this state or that state, has been accused of sexually harassing women, or in the case of a woman, men, I suppose, if in fact... We believe that the allegations are credible. They're numerous and they're credible. Forget about an ethics committee. Forget about due process. Forget about the law. If we believe, we, Mitch McConnell, John McCain, Cory Gardner, whomever, if we believe that these allegations are believable, we're going to expel you. We can't even get to that point, ladies and gentlemen, if they continue to conceal the identity of these senators. Same thing on the House side. There's a code of silence. These are our representatives. Don't you want to know if your member of Congress or your senators are involved in sexual harassment? Don't you want to know? The CNN story goes on, and I will continue it in a moment. Mark Lovin. Well, unfortunately, I have to go on with this. This topic. Has anybody heard Mitch McConnell? Anybody heard Mitch McConnell? Go to a press conference, speak out about the sexual 
abuse and harassment that is pervasive in the United States Senate? Pervasive is their word, not mine. How is it that this guy gets away with, with, with virtual silence on what goes on in the chamber that he controls? But he can't stop talking about Alabama. I'm not comparing the two situations. I am just finding this amazing to me. That they have to pass a resolution in the United States Senate to tell the senators to keep their, hand, their hands off each other and to keep their hands off their staff and to keep their hands off their interns and their fellows and all the rest of it. It's disgusting. And and then they're all running out, beating their chests, and the media is telling us how many of them are denouncing Roy Moore. Fine. They can denounce Roy Moore. But how do they defend themselves? And the secrecy. Why don't we know the names of the United States Senators and the members of the House of Representatives who should be thrown out of office? And more than that, I assure you, Mitch McConnell knows their names. Paul Ryan knows their names. So why aren't they moving to expel them? Now, I'm not talking about if something's in serious dispute. But apparently these men, Ryan and McConnell, are able to know when allegations are reliable, believable, and absolutely certain. They're apparently able to know. Great. So you don't need an ethics committee investigation. You don't need quote-unquote due process. I've been hearing this for days now. It's not a criminal case. It's a political matter. Okay, it's a political matter. So what are the names of the members of Congress, the House and the Senate, who are predators? And we're not allowed to ask. We're told. Let's go on with the CNN story. One female congressman told CNN she has experienced sexual harassment from her male colleagues on multiple occasions over the years, but she declined to speak on the record or detail those interactions. Why? She's in no fear of losing her job. What kind of retribution would there be? Half are harassers, she said, of her male counterparts in Congress, before quickly adding that that was an overestimate. Only some are harassers, she said. Capitol Hill's open secret, goes on CNN. We know who they are. What began as a typical workday left one woman feeling horrified. A former Senate staffer recalled getting on the members-only elevator designed to let lawmakers easily reach the House and Senate floors, with her boss a few years ago. Her boss introduced her to another senator in the elevator. That's two senators. Both senators are men and still currently in office. When she learned, excuse me, the font on this is tiny, so I'm trying to read it. When she learned, when she leaned in to shake that senator's hand, he stroked the side of her palm in a really gross, suggestive way, she said, a gesture that was completely invisible to her boss. The ex-staffer said she was rattled and felt very yucky. She was also shaken by how brazen the senator was to do this with his colleagues standing right next to them. Who was it? The woman who declined to be named or reveal the senator's identity told CNN that she's avoided that lawmaker from that day on. She also never told her then-boss about it. She was embarrassed and nervous to make it an issue, she said, and simply 
took it for the gross moment that it was. But nothing about it felt right, she said. In conversations with CNN, multiple women pointed to the elevators on Capitol Hill as a place where staff and members prey on women and say they've been advised to avoid riding alone with men if possible. One woman said years after leaving her job in Congress, she still feels anxious about being alone in elevators with men. This is your Congress. How do Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan keep their jobs? I'm just curious. I'm not done. This is just the beginning. I'll be right back. Now, we have to continue with this tawdry subject. Because if I don't discuss this at length, quite frankly, nobody will. Apparently not even on conservative radio. Inappropriate conduct on Capitol Hill, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> you own Capitol Hill. You own your government. I just want you to know, not all senators and congressmen, but apparently it's pervasive. That's the word CNN used. The unique lifestyle on the Hill helps fuel a hostile culture. Many male members are far away from their families, including their spouses, during the week, frequently working late nights and attending evening fundraisers and events where alcohol flows freely. You know, you can, this is how lib reporters at CNN write this stuff. There's no excuse if, in fact, an allegation is legitimate. There's no excuse for this kind of behavior. Often they're staffed by younger female employees. Some members of Congress forego a Washington area apartment and sleep in their offices. They practice several sources highlighted as problematic. Now, all members who sleep in their offices are not sexual predators, but apparently some are. One aide who worked, and by the way, CNN's done this long story. They're talking to people mostly off the record. Uh, they won't give them names off, off the record. I bet you CNN knows the name of a lot of these senators and congressmen. But that code of silence, unless it's like some right winger, the dozens of interviews that CNN conducted with both men and women also reveal that there is an unwritten list of male lawmakers, male lawmakers, made up primarily of House representatives, where there are many more members than the Senate, notorious for inappropriate or predatory behavior. Several people simply refer to that roster as the creep list. More than half a dozen interviewees independently named one California congressman. Well, then why won't they give us this congressman's name, CNN? For pursuing female staffers. Another half dozen pointed to a Texas congressman for engaging in inappropriate behavior. Who? CNN is not naming either of those lawmakers because the stories are unverified. Well, so what? Right? Now, I say so what sarcastically. I just thought, I heard Republicans say, and the media to some extent say, you know, it's it, it, these sound like, in the most recent case involving more, these sound like, you know, legitimate allegations. They, you know, there's so many of them and... And so forth. I hope CNN is confronting the lawmakers. 
Amongst ourselves, we know, a former Senate aide said, referring to sexual harassers and their behavior, there's a certain code amongst us. We acknowledge among each other what occurs. Some stay silent. Others tolerate bad behavior. There's a little bit of a sex trade on Capitol Hill. How many times have I spent this long of a period of time on a news article? I mean, analyzing it, yes. Reading from it, no. But this is just jaw-dropping to me. Maybe I'm naive. It's just jaw-dropping to me. I've only gotten halfway through the damn thing. Even as explosive allegations in Hollywood and media have taken down powerful figures like producer Harvey Weinstein, actor Kevin Spacey, comedian Louis C.K., and political journalist uh, Mark Halpern, on Capitol Hill, it's not clear that a, that, uh, a similar a day of reckoning is soon coming to one of the country's most important institutions. The power dynamics in Washington contribute to this problem. Most offices are staffed by early career professionals who are trying to make a name for themselves in Washington. They also report directly to members of Congress. A lot of it has to do with being in a place where people who have power try to exert it to get what they want, one Senate staffer said, adding that a lot of the most egregious examples happen on the cocktail circuit, where powerful men intermingle with younger staffers outside of the Capitol. I thought it happened in the elevator. Now, let's take a pause again. Who runs the Senate? McConnell? Which party? I'm just being honest. The establishment Republican Party? Who runs the House? The Speaker? Ryan? Which party? And they haven't resigned? Why? Is this not a failure of leadership at its core? But some women tolerate the advances or even reciprocate them, everything from flirting to getting physically intimate, believing that it is one way to climb the ladder. There's a little bit of a sex trade on Capitol Hill. If a part of getting ahead on Capitol Hill is playing ball with uh, whatever, I won't use the language, then whatever, said one female political veteran who worked on Capitol Hill. Former Representative Mary Bono said publicly this month that she endured suggestive comments from a fellow lawmaker for years before eventually confronting him. Representative Linda Sanchez and ex-representative Hilda Solis also told the Associated Press stories of repeated inappropriate comments from lawmakers, including some who are still in office. And yet the media is part of the code of silence. One woman who began her career in Washington in the 1980s and is now in her 50s told CNN she still constantly takes precautions to protect herself from powerful men. Now, there's a lot of babble in this article, too. Um, I'm not saying that individuals don't actually feel this way, but I'm trying to focus on the point of what's actually going on on Capitol Hill. Travis Moore, a former aide to ex-representative Henry Waxman, started a signature gathering campaign last week calling on congressional leaders to reform inadequate sexual harassment policies in Congress. His letters gathered over 1,500 signatures. So these are signatures, ladies and gentlemen, of former congressional employees. Moore told CNN he was deeply affected by a close friend who confided in him that while she was an aide in the Senate, she received sexual comments from a superior who was an aide. When she reported the behavior to her chief of staff, she was questioned harshly about it and her motives were questioned. 
The accused A was not reprimanded. There was no recourse. He said, but the, the uh, place where complaints go to die, Capitol Hill. Harassment on Capitol Hill isn't always sexual in nature, and then it goes on. You can read it yourself. I've read enough of it. Now, you can turn on cable TV right now, satellite TV, network TV, and you're going to see Roy Moore, Roy Moore, Roy Moore. I think it's fair to say that it would be, as I said at the opening of the program, a political miracle if Roy Moore wins election to the United States Senate. And if he does win election to the United States Senate, it's going to be because the people of Alabama have had it with Washington, with McConnell, with the Washington Post and the rest. You may not like that, or you may like that, but there's a lot of dynamics at work here. But what I don't like is you have an institution on Capitol Hill where sexual harassment, sexual abuse is reportedly, apparently pervasive. And there's an article here and there, there's a discussion here and there, and so they pass a requirement that they're going to have special training. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you send a person to Congress, whether they're senators or members of of the House, and they're passing a resolution to train them to not sexually harass young girls, um, staffers, interns, and so forth and so on. I think we have a problem. Not you and me. I think we have a problem with our government. These people are the ones who are passing laws. These people are deciding what our tax rates are going to be. These people are the ones keeping the border open. These people are passing judgment on the United States military. On and on and on. And CNN, to their credit, has written this, this expose, but to CNN's discredit, it is participating in keeping their names from us. The members of Congress I'm talking about. Why? Why are they keeping names from us? He said, well, you know, because we can't be sure that these allegations are true. Well, I don't know how you can be sure. I mean, the media is having a a hell of a time releasing name after name after name as it applies to Hollywood. I can't even keep track of that. Can you? Can you? I can't keep track of that. And it's many cases, it's hard to prove it one way or another. Some cases are overwhelming. That's different. And in, and in also certain cases, the target may be completely innocent. I heard somebody say the other day, who was it? I'm trying to remember who it was. I honestly can't remember. I'd give you the name. The person was on TV, and this person says, well, Mark, why don't you tell us the person? I can't remember their name. I would tell you the person in two seconds. But the person said, unless we get specific information that Roy Moore can dispute these specific allegations, he must be guilty. Now, Roy Moore might be guilty. Maybe he's not guilty. I don't know. But let's put Roy Moore aside. I've now talked about the sexual harassment that is pervasive pervasive on Capitol Hill. The CNN piece, there's other pieces, the resolution the Senate's passing, 
what uh, Paul Ryan said about we need to have training. So it's really a confession that it's out of control in Congress. Otherwise, you wouldn't need special training. You wouldn't need resolutions. You wouldn't need to do all these safe-facing measures uh, in lieu of actual leadership and trying to put an end to this stuff, or at least limit it. But there's another side to this. If you're an individual who truly is a family person, let's say you're married, and you truly have nothing but fidelity, fidelity for your wife or your husband for that matter, and you've never cheated on them, you've never looked cross-eyed at somebody else, let alone touched somebody else, and so forth and so on, and you're accused wrongly and falsely of sexual harassment. What does that person do? Again, let's put Roy Moore aside. Let's put all the politicians aside. I'm asking you a legitimate question. What does that person do? I mean, I understand due process, litigation, and all the rest. But what if it doesn't... What if it, that's not a circumstance that presents himself, that is, litigation? The allegation could be absolutely ruinous for an individual and their character. Absolutely ruinous. So there is that too, and that's not a joke. As I talked about, the uh, Duke lacrosse players. The Duke lacrosse players. But in the case of Congress... Congress is saying Congress has a problem. Congress is saying Congress needs to be trained against sexual harassment. Congress is saying this is pervasive. That's different. And so I wish to reiterate that the two men who run Congress need to leave. Because a lot of this has occurred on their watch. And while they're busy pointing fingers at other people, they're also pointing fingers at themselves. I'll be right back. Lovin. By the way, as an aside, but it's important, Donald Trump uh, succeeded in securing the release of three UCLA basketball players who were uh, shoplifting in China. It's about as stupid as it gets. And uh, I believe they thanked him today, or some did. And I'm sure our NFL football player friends, uh, they'll be honoring Donald Trump uh, for taking care of that situation. I'm sure all the sports broadcasters over at ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN3, ESPN4, ESPN5, ESPN6, you get the point. I'm sure all the sports writers like Wilbon, I'm sure they're all going to go out there and say, thank you, Mr. President, outstanding, how you stood up for our athletes, how you secured the release. And I might add, there are three African-Americans. I only add that because apparently when you talk about sports now, when you talk about football, you have to talk about race. You have to talk about race. Okay, I just did. Do I get a cookie or something? Yes, yeah, you have to talk about race. Okay, I just did. 
They were released thanks to Trump. Thanks to Trump. I don't think Obama could have pulled that off. Do you, Mr. Producer? No. I don't think Obama could have pulled that off. Now, all you uh, sports broadcasters out there, uh, what's the channel? Mad Dog? By the way, some very good ones, I think. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how the backbenchers in sports broadcasts, and don't get me wrong, there's some great, great broadcasters. My buddy Stephen A., Al Michaels, others. There are others, but not a lot. Not a lot. I don't know how they talk about golf for five hours at a time. I don't know how they talk about ice hockey for five hours at a time. I don't know how they talk about one football game and analyze everything. Ah, oh, look at this guy. He, he started running with his left foot. He didn't use his right foot. I don't know if the ball had an extra ounce of air, maybe less than an ounce of air. I don't know that guy running over there. Maybe he shouldn't take his helmet off. The other guy didn't take his helmet off. On and on and I'm going, good Lord. You guys should have your pay doubled. Doubled. I don't know how you make that interesting. Most of you don't, but some of you do. Not one penny. That's how much funding Hillsdale College receives from the government. Not even indirectly in the form of student loans or grants. Not one penny. The vast majority of colleges receive around 30% of their revenue from government funding, loans, and grants. That makes them dependent on the government and taxpayers like you and me to stay in business. Contrast, Hillsdale refuses every penny of government funding. Why? Because money from the government comes with strings attached, do's and don'ts, restrictions and mandates that dictate how a school operates and educates. But from the beginning, in 1844, remember who I told you was president in 1844, Mr. Producer? You remember? James Polk was actually a great president, underrated. Great president, James Polk. Do I agree with everything? No. Do I agree with a lot? Yes. Anyway. Hillsdale has provided a world-class education that upholds America's founding principles and preserves the blessings of civil and religious liberty. Everything Hillsdale does, from the financial aid 97% of its students receive to the completely free online courses it offers, depends on generous donors who recognize the worth of independence. Not one penny preserves the integrity of a Hillsdale education. Not one penny ensures that Hillsdale can continue to be a beacon of independence for all of its students across America. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Now, while I'm on sports, for the next 20 seconds, did you see this poll on Roger Goodell, the would-be commissioner of the NFL? What do you mean would-be? It's another lightweight. People can't stand this guy. Wants $49.5 million for being an incompetent boob. I said I'd do it for $20 million, and I'm not even an incompetent boob. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Time to move on to a less distasteful subject. And that is freedom. That is economics. We like to introduce thoughtful things into the radio from time to time, don't we? I'm still hearing the Republicans on Capitol Hill sound like class warfare warriors. About the rich, the middle class. These are, these are labels. This is, this is a nomenclature that is borrowed from or stolen from socialists, even worse, Marxists. Like I said the other day, the proletariat, the bourgeoisie, I've written about this in many of my books. The proletariat being the working people, the bourgeoisie being the management class. The property owner, businessman, landlord, etc., as I pointed out in Rediscovering Americanism, are cast as the evil, cold-blooded, plundering taskmasters in Marx's writings, and apparently in the Republican propaganda on the tax bills. Meanwhile, the employee and the laborer are portrayed as noble, compassionate, powerless, abused. But human beings are not so easily assigned to such ranks and classes by such preconceived and stereotypical characteristics. In fact, most proletariats, a.k.a. workers, do not feel terrorized by the bourgeoisie, that is, landlords and businessmen and so forth. Therefore, they do not spontaneously rise up to the revolutionary cause. Also, most bourgeoisie are not terrorizing their employees or tenants. The contrary. Industrial society is not inherently wicked. It has improved the standard of living for most of the population in a complex society, bourgeoisie and proletariat alike, where the comforts of a developed economy are available to virtually all who participate in it. I remember writing these words. I'll tell you what. This is why I love writing my books. I intellectually get lost in this stuff. I don't mean lost with it, lost in it. Just keep digging and digging and thinking and In fact, ladies and gentlemen, the entire nomenclature and class identification that you're hearing from Republicans today, devised by Marx, among others, is terribly flawed. For example, is there a monolithic, alienated class of workers or proletariat? Even the so-called populists, whether of the Bernie Sanders sort or the other sort, they try to beat the drums to this notion of the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie. There was a great journalist and even more philosopher by the name of Raymond Aron, A-R-O-N. He lived from 1905 to 1983. I'm a huge fan of his. And I'm a fan of his book, The Opium of the Intellectuals, The Opium of the Intellectuals, which he wrote in 1955. He wrote of the myth of this proletariat, He said, why is it so often considered difficult to define the working class? 
No definition can trace precisely the limits of such a category. At what stage in the hierarchy does the skilled worker cease to belong to the proletariat and become a member of the bourgeoisie? Is the manual worker in the public services a proletarian, even though he receives his wages from the state and not from a private employer? Do the wage earners in commerce, whose hands manipulate the objects manufactured by others, belong to the same groups as the wage earners in the industry? There can be no dogmatic answer to such queries. They have no common criterion. According to whether one considered the nature of the work, the method and the amount of the remuneration, the style of life, one will or will not include certain workers in the category of proletarians. The garage mechanic, a wage-earning manual worker, is in a different position and has a different outlook on society from the worker employed on an assembly line in a motor car factory. Now, Raymond Aran illuminated this further. He wrote, The contempt with which the intellectuals are inclined to regard everything connected with commerce and industry has always seemed to me itself contemptible. And by the way, it's not just intellectuals, it's rabble-rousers. That the same people who look down on engineers or industrialists profess to recognize universal man and the worker as his lathe or on the assembly line, seems to me endearing but somewhat surprising. Neither the division of labor nor the raising of the standard of living contributes towards this universalism. Philosophers have the right to hope that the proletarian will not become integrated with the existing order, but that he will preserve himself for revolutionary action. But they cannot in modern times represent as fact the universality of the industrial worker. Not all proletarians have the feeling of being exploited or oppressed. In countries where the economy continues to expand, where the standard of living has risen, why should the real liberties of the proletariat, the worker, however partial, be sacrificed to a total liberation, which turns out to be indistinguishable from the omnipotence of the state? See, this is genius. This is genius. I've written similarly in Liberty and Tyranny about how you cannot really define a middle class. And as I wrote and I paraphrased in there, as I will paraphrase, let's look at the farmer. The farmer who owns hundreds of acres. He's married and he has five children. He owns hundreds of, hundreds of acres, but he doesn't make a fortune. His family works very, very hard, 14, 16 hours a day. They squeeze out a living. Family of five, farmers. Let's say they make $120,000 net. Then let us take, shall we, a a junior attorney in a major Manhattan law firm who works on securities issues, works with hedge funds and multinational, international corporations. She's not married. She's single. Maybe she's 27. She lives in a studio apartment in Manhattan, very expensive. 
let's say she earns $120,000 a year. What exactly do these two families, or these two examples, have in common? Almost nothing. And yet they're both considered middle or upper middle class. Income does not define the person. Material does not define the person. There are all kinds of circumstances that define the person, the quality of their life, the standard of living, circumstances that you and I have nothing to do with. They choose to go into a particular profession or in a particular field. They choose to get married and have children or they don't. They choose to live in an expensive area or they don't. They choose to own land or they don't. And yet they earn the same amount of money. Doing completely different things. With completely different socioeconomic conditions and completely different needs and expenses. And yet none of that, or almost none of it, is taken into consideration when you hear them talking about taxes right now. Because they are so consumed with the progressive ideology, the progressive mindset, the progressive model, that they have no idea what tax reform even means. It means slashing taxes across the board for everybody, every quote-unquote income group. These fake, mythical income groups they create in order to satisfy the needs, not of the individual, not of the family, not of the private sector, but of the government's demands on your income. And what's so nefarious about this is the Democrats do it, and obviously now the Republicans do it. They try and build an army of supporters for their, for their aggressiveness in raising taxes. So what the Republicans have done here is it's not very clever, but people are not picking up on it. There's going to now be a larger percentage of people who pay not one penny in federal income taxes and, in fact, will be eligible for the earned in- income tax credit. That is a subsidy. It will now reach 50%, having already hit 47%. 60% of our fellow citizens who work, quote-unquote, will either pay not a penny in federal income taxes or no more than 5%. 60%. And the Republicans are doing this right now. And the Republicans are doing this so they can build a, well, populism has succeeded, a populist base to support their tax, quote-unquote, cutting, quote-unquote, reform agenda against all the rest of us who are carrying the load, who are paying the vast majority of the taxes in this country. And they go on and on, talking like Marxists about the proletariat. They don't call them the proletariat. They call them, quote-unquote, the workers. Now, how many truck drivers have called into this show in the last several days saying they're going to get whacked by this these so-called Uh, tax reform proposals and tax cut proposals. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, in the end, they have to take it from you. There simply aren't enough billionaires to take enough money from. Because now we're talking about trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And what's so frustrating, so infuriating, is the deceit with which the Republicans, the leadership and the Republicans in the House and the Senate, and quite frankly, the presidents, uh, Gary Kahn and others like that, what's so frustrating about all this is that they know it. 
Just like Bernie Sanders throws around the word, the words middle class. Just like the leftists throw around the words middle class. Just like now the Republicans throw around the words middle class. I know it's hard. You have to reject this. When you pay your taxes, you're paying your taxes as an individual. When you sign your taxes, when you t- your tax return, you're signing under the penalty of perjury, not for the middle class, but for yourself. When you buy a home and you have interest deductions from your mortgage or you have property tax deductions on your federal income tax or you're paying your state income tax and you can deduct that too, you're not doing that because you're part of the proletariat or the working class or the middle class. You're doing it as an individual with a family or a small businessman or woman as an entrepreneur trying to grow your business. There's a complete disconnect between what Washington is doing and between what you want Washington to do. And what they're trying to do is build a, a support base of millions and millions of people who will pay no federal income taxes, who will have no problem with what the Republicans want to do, and who seek to raise more and more money to fund more and more government. Why, you might ask. Why? Why would they do this? Because they do not want to cut government. The Republicans do not want to cut government, and they will embrace soon Ivanka Trump's uh, family leave. And by the way, I'm not doing this to take a shot at Ivanka Trump, who's a very lovely lady. I've met her once. Very, very lovely lady. But she's the one pressing for it, and of course many Republicans want it now, and many Democrats want it now. So the spending goes on and on. The yearly deficits get bigger and bigger. The overall debt gets bigger and bigger. And the Republicans talk like Marxists. I know this is what I'm saying is is, is considered truly outright. What are you calling them communists? I didn't call them communists. I said they are talk they're using the nomenclature. I'll put it this way, that people will be uh, will be able to tolerate it more. They're using the nomenclature of the progressives. Of the progressives. Now, I just talked about the so-called middle class, the proletariat. Let's talk about the bourgeoisie when I come back. Who are the bourgeoisie? Who are these, these tenants, these managers, these landowners, these business owners who we're supposed to hate? I'll be right back. Lovin. just as different as the non-rich. What does this word rich mean? Who falls into that category? Let's say you're an entrepreneur. You just started a business. And you had a successful year. And let's say you grossed three and a half million dollars, but when it's all said and done, you netted, let's just say, $1.2, $1.3 million. You would net a lot less, but let's play along. Under the Republican tax bill, you're rich. But let's say you want to use that money to reinvest in your business to expand it and hire more people. It wouldn't matter. You're going to pay more taxes. Let's say you're Bill Gates and you're worth $60, $70 billion. Well, 
You're rich too. You're part of the proletariat. Bill Gates and that entrepreneur have absolutely nothing in common. Bill Gates, one of the founders of Microsoft, and this entrepreneur just getting started trying to expand his business, trying to hire a few more people, trying to put a few bucks in his pocket or her pocket as they expand the business. They have nothing in common. Zero. Let's go back to the farmer. Let's say you, you've been farming for some time and you're actually very successful. You make a decent amount of money. Let's say you, you gross in terms of wheat and corn sales or what have you. Eight, nine million dollars. But you net, maybe, just again, play along, three million dollars. That's a good sum. You're part of the bourgeoisie. Really? You're part of the bourgeoisie? Are you George Soros? Who's worth some $20 billion? No, you still have to be careful with your money because you still have a business to run. And the next year you might earn nothing. Or very little. There's no guarantee, is there? So the bourgeoisie, for the most part, that is, the rich, have very little in common with each other. Just as the proletariat The workers have very little in common with each other. Some do, some don't. And yet, the government for its own efficiencies, and the government for its own desire to dehumanize us, to attack the nature of individualism and individual freedom, in essence to attack the right to uh, property and capitalism, uses the nomenclature of the Marxists, of the progressive, sticks us in categories which are absolutely nonsensical. And here's a final point. The categories change. Today, a millionaire is a person who nets a million dollars. Tomorrow, a millionaire is somebody who nets $500,000. And in the end, everybody gets stuck. I'll be right back. most powerful conservative voice the mark levin show dial in now 877-381-3811 captera it's that time of year again when the days are shorter don't waste your precious daylight sifting through a sea of search results when looking for the right business software Get home on time tonight with Capterra.com. Capterra.com. C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A.com. Whether you're a startup looking to keep better track of customers, a nonprofit hoping to have a record fundraising year, or a business that simply needs better payroll software, you need software and Capterra has you covered. Search Captera's 400 categories of software. Discover the right tool for your business, anything from email marketing to scheduling to accounting and beyond. Captera makes it easy to find what you're looking for. Captera has thousands of ratings and reviews from actual software users just like you, so you know what's the best. Best of all, listen to this. Using Captera is absolutely free. Free. Now, 2018 will be here before you know it. So make sure you've got the software your business needs today to help you do what you do better. Join the millions who use Captera. That's Captera, C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A. 
Captera.com slash Levin. That's Captera.com slash L-E-V-I-N. What a great service. It's free, too. Get the right software, business efficiencies, and not just businesses, associations, nonprofits, churches, as an example. That's Captera.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N. Absolutely free for you to use. That's always good, right? Now, let's keep digging as they talk about their so-called tax cuts and tax reform. Let's keep digging. Have you ever heard of a professor, a philosopher, Irish philosopher actually, by the name of Philip Pettit? Well, I hadn't either until I wrote Rediscovering Americanism, and I dug deeply into some of his writings, and they're brilliant particularly his book, Republicanism, A Theory of Freedom of Government, 1997. He's updated it since. And I want to point this out to you, because the propaganda about proletariat and bourgeoisie, the working class versus the management class, it's not only the Saul Linskyites, the progressives in this country that use it, but unfortunately it's some of the populists in this country who also use it. Which is why I say we need to have a really good debate on this subject, a really good understanding of what all this means. And I'm certainly engaged and ready to go at it. Now, he explains that some of the founding era writers supported a populist approach to the government, favoring majoritarianism, meaning a democratic form of government, favoring that over republicanism. And that such a governing construct actually threatens the safeguards against arbitrary interference with individual liberty. It's a point I make all the time. He wrote, while it is true that the Republican thinkers, meaning those who believe in a Republican form of government, in general regarded democratic participation or representation as a safeguard of liberty, not as its defining core, representation, not as, okay, not as its defining core, representation as a safeguard of liberty, not as its defining core. The growing emphasis on democracy did leave some individuals away from traditional alignments and towards the full populist position of holding that liberty consists in nothing more than democratic self-rule. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then you reject the, the philosophers who the framers and the founders embraced. Then you reject republicanism and constitutionalism. We've talked about Rousseau here. I write about him extensively in Rediscovering Americanism. And Pettit points out, Rousseau is probably responsible for having given currency to such a populist view. The populist twist was a new development and attained its full form only when the ideal of democratic self-rule came to be held up as the main alternative, or at least the main alternative among notions of liberty, to the negative ideal of non-interference. That is, to the ideal of republicanism, where there are absolute limits on government in order to protect the individual. To think of the republican tradition as populist, as of course many have done, he writes, would be to sustain the very dichotomy that has rendered the Republican ideal invisible. In other words, he's saying it's an impossibility. The tradition of populism, which is a 
limited tradition, in the tradition of republicanism. In the end, in the end, they cannot coexist. I point out the new populism certainly was not the dominant view during the American founding. The entire debate surrounding the drafting, adoption, and ratification of the Constitution, and the debates between the Federalists and Anti-Federalists make this abundantly clear. The progressives did and do use populist language and appeals to nationalism. Theodore Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson, Crowley, Weill, Dewey, and on and on and on. Appeals to nationalism to make alluring the promotion of an ever larger and more centralized governmental presence and administrative structure. Their approach could be characterized as democratizing tyranny. Progressives condemn America's founding principles, including the Declaration of Independence and its emphasis on individual unalienable rights, as well as the Constitution, especially the separation of powers doctrine and federalism, precisely because of their Republican features and obstacles to concentrated governmental power. Now, why am I talking about this now? It's in the context of the tax debate. When you have Republicans who pose as constitutionalists, who pose as conservatives, who pose as believers in property rights and individual liberty and all the rest, when you have them trying to create a quote-unquote class of citizens who will not pay a penny in federal income taxes, when you have Republicans who try to expand their numbers into an army of individuals, citizens who will not pay a penny in federal income taxes, while at the same time, massively increasing the burden on other citizens, whether they pretend not to be or not, is of no consequence. They are. Somebody has to pay at least part of the bill. Well, then you have the embrace of populism. And I think the populists out there should be celebrating, celebrating this tax bill. They should be celebrating it. Where constitutional conservatives who believe in republicanism should be opposing it. Should be opposing it. Yet, things don't necessarily work out that way, do they? And there's a lot more to this. When we talk about, and when they talk about on TV, these Republicans showing up one after another, Paul Ryan held a town hall meeting, or with Fox, was actually very interesting. There are many other layers to this. I can't cover them all, even in a three-hour broadcast. I can't cover them all, even in a week's worth of broadcasting. I cover them in the book, but I cover them elsewhere, too. And that is the immorality of this model. It is an attack on the individual, and it is an attack on private property rights. When you have people who work very, very, very hard, or very, very, very smart, or whatever they're doing, Many of you who provide a service or a product or support a service or a product that is valuable, that is worthy of somebody exchanging currency for it, somebody giving up some of their material wealth, enriching you, I didn't say making you rich, enriching you because they want your service or product. And you get up in the morning those of you who work 
you know, day shift or day hours. You get up early in the morning. Many of you, you leave your family. Many of you, you get stuck in traffic. You go to the office. You go to the assembly line. You drive a truck. Whatever you do. You work. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do you work? Well, many of us enjoy it. Okay. But there's a lot of things we enjoy that doesn't involve work. So why do you work besides enjoyment? Many of you hate your jobs, and yet you still work. You work because you want to provide yourself and your family, if you have a family, with wealth. Again, not that you're wealthy, but with wealth. With an income. So you can eat. So you have a roof over your head. So you can clothe yourself and your family. But even more than that. So you're free. You work to be free. You work to be mobile. You work so you can make individual decisions as an individual American citizen. You use your labor, your intellectual labor and your physical labor. Your life on earth is finite. Your ability to work, your career, whatever it is, is limited. So you use your precious life on earth, a significant amount of it, to work. In order to create a benefit for yourself and your family. So when the government steps in and the government says, you know what? You earned that much money. We're going to take this percentage of it. The government doesn't know you. The government doesn't know your family. The government doesn't know how hard you work. The government doesn't know your circumstances. The government doesn't know anything about you or your family. It is immoral. Listen, apart from all the rest, it is immoral for politicians to tell you whether you have enough money. It is immoral for politicians to tell you whether your work, your labor, intellectual and physical, that you apply each and every day, is only allowed to be so much in terms of the value that you've created. Because the government's going to take it and give it to somebody else. And give it to somebody else. If you start... From that premise, then you realize that all this talk about redistributing wealth, all this talk about, well, we're going to have a new category, 45.6% on dollars over a million dollars. Or, you know, you have a deduction for your property. You have a deduction for your, your state income taxes, and we're subsidizing states. You're not subsidizing states. That money belongs to the individual who purchased the home. That income belongs to the individual who happens to live in that state. It's not about blue states, red states. Those of you who live in red states, you have property taxes too. Most of you have state income taxes too. It's not about states. It's about individual worth, individual rights. It's about your labor, physical and other labor, intellectual. That's what it's about. 
it is immoral. I believe that progressive income tax is immoral. But it's especially immoral when a continuing, reducing, reduced number of American citizens are carrying the weight because it is said that they've earned too much or they earn enough or they can afford it and so forth and so on. It's immoral. No, I'm not saying there shouldn't be a basic level of protection for people to the extent that that can be afforded. But when the central business of government is to redistribute wealth, when the central business of government is to create a nomenclature, economic classes, and telling us who deserves what, who can keep what, when the central business of government is to fund those government activities that are not even constitutionally authorized, it is immoral. I'll be right back. Mark doing most shows, probably not enough time, why do I write these books, getting into this stuff, all kinds of stuff like this, because there's another philosopher who's since passed, his name is Berlin, and another brilliant man, and I've talked about him in the past, as I have many of these philosophers, and he talked about uh, positive liberty and negative liberty, which is wholly misunderstood by too many, but... He said, and I paraphrase, and I've talked about this many times. Ideas determine our fate. And if ideas are left to the intellectuals and the academics, they will determine our fate. When you hear somebody say, you know, these discussions about free markets and property rights and the Constitution and individual liberty are boring, or when you hear somebody say they're theories, they're abstractions. These are people who are posers, who pretend to understand things but don't. If we don't understand these ideas, we don't express them, we don't promote them, we will lose. We will lose our liberty, we will lose our constitution, and we will lose our country. The American Revolution was about ideas. Ideas that had been written about, talked about through the ages, but never actually established in a country. We're the first. That's why America is different. That's why America is great. That's why when politicians say they don't do this in Europe or we ought to do this in Europe, they do not comprehend the greatness of this country. You know, i got to tell you now, I've been sleeping on my Casper mattress for a good while. I'd pick it over every mattress I ever had. God's honest truth. It really does help me get the best night's sleep, period. Once you try Casper, you're going to love yours as much as I love mine. Switching to Casper is a no-brainer. It's higher quality mattress at a more affordable price. Now, I'm sleeping cool and comfortably every night thanks to Casper's two high-tech foams, much better than on the old overpriced mattress I used to have. Casper ships right to your door for free in a small, how did they do that, size box. They'll even pick it up if you don't love it and refund you everything. Now, 
from its breakthrough design and superior quality to its packaging to letting you try it for 100 nights. It's no wonder Casper was named one of Fast Company's 50 most innovative brands of 2017. Sleeping on a mattress is the best way to try it. Put Casper to the test in your own home for 100 nights risk-free. You might say, look, I already have a mattress. I'm going to keep it. Great. You can still try the Casper. Take your mattress, lean it up against the wall, try the Casper. You can try it for over three months. I'm betting it won't take you but a few nights to say, this is my mattress, the Casper. So you can try it risk-free. Go to Casper.com, use code MARK for $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. And now's the perfect time with the holidays coming. Get your new mattress or new mattresses now. That's Casper.com, code MARK. So you get $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. That's Casper.com, code MARK. Terms and conditions apply. I know you're going to love this mattress. You have a guest room and you're looking for a mattress. People coming for Thanksgiving or the other holidays and so forth. Perfect time to get it. Get it before the rush is on. Casper.com, code MARK. Got a powerful third hour left, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you'll stay with me. I'll be right back. of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I still have this big announcement to make, but my hands are tied right now. My hands are tied. I want to make it. I think you're going to like it, too. Like I said, no, 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 I'm not transgendering. No, no, that's just not me. It's not in my nature. I self-identify what biology identifies. Here we have, uh, ladies and gentlemen, from NBC News, of course, five articles of impeachment against Donald Trump introduced by House Democrats. And by the way, the reason why the Democrat leadership in the House is like, Shh, stop talking about impeachment, stop it, is because they don't want to turn all you out to vote in order to block it. They want to get the majority in the House, and then they want to impeach the president, as I have said time and time and time again. This is from NBC News via the Associated Depressed. A half dozen Democrats on Wednesday introduce articles of impeachment against President Donald Trump, accusing him of obstruction of justice and other offenses in a long-shot effort that stands little chance in the Republican-led House. It's not intended for the Republican-led House. It's intended to get all the kooks, miscreants, malcontents, and uh, radical uh, types out to vote so that they can impeach the president. Indeed, the large majority of Democrats seem intent on having nothing to do with the effort, either as lawmakers await the results of special counsel um, Robert Mueller's investigation into ties between the Trump campaign and Russia. What ties between the Trump campaign and Russia? Oh, you know, this guy Papadopoulos, he, uh, he uh, you know, he uh, pl- pled guilty to, uh, uh, what, what was it, false statements, okay, 
And Manafort, you know, with all this tax stuff and everything. Okay, what does that have to do with ties, let's be blunt, between Russia and Trump? Nothing. Democratic leaders have argued that the impeachment campaign riles up Trump's GOP base. There you go. A critical block in next year's midterm election. So what they're telling their their fringe kook elements, and of course they're all kooks, but especially the fringe fringe kook element is, shh, let's take the House. Then we'll impeach him. Shh, stop it. Stop it. We'll take the House first. Then we'll impeach him. The five articles accused the president of obstruction of justice related to the FBI investigation into Russian meddling in the 2016 election, undermining the independence of the federal judiciary and other offenses. This is, you know, doesn't your blood boil when you hear such a thoroughgoing lies like this? Obstruction of justice. This president hasn't even come close to obstruction of justice. He is the FBI. He's the president. Think the FBI is an independent branch of government? And undermining the independence of the federal judiciary? How has he done that? Quite the contrary. The federal judiciary has undermined the independence of the other branches. We've taken this action because of great concerns for the country and our Constitution and our national security and our democracy, says Representative Stephen Cohen, who is a crackpot from Tennessee. And by the way, Listen to, we have taken this action because of great concerns for the country and our Constitution and our national security and our democracy. This jerk doesn't care about the Constitution as written. He doesn't care about national security. Cohen said he understands that Republicans hold the majority in the House are unlikely to allow hearings on the impeachment articles. Well, why would we allow hearings on the impeachment articles? Because of a kook like this, he said the group will hold occasional briefings to explain each of the five articles of impeachment and where they believe Trump ran afoul of the law or committed misdeeds that warrant impeachment. The obstruction of justice allegation stems from Trump's firing of FBI Director James Comey, which the lawmakers say was designed to delay and impede an investigation. No, it wasn't. Not only wasn't it designed to do so, The then-acting FBI director, who's another Democrat, whose wife is a hack, who ran for the state senate in Virginia, this guy McCabe, a a Comey sycophant, he even said it had no effect on their investigation. The articles of impeachment also charge that Trump has accepted, without the consent of Congress, emoluments from foreign states and from the U.S. government. You know what that's about? Trump happens to own restaurants and hotels and other places, and because officials from other governments stay in these hotels or eat at his restaurants, that this is an emolument. In other words, he's being paid by foreign governments to influence policy. Only insane crackpots like these Democrats would come up with such nonsense. They're not worried about Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton. They're not worried about 20% control of American uranium uh, now being in the hands of, uh, of Putin. They're not worried about the Espionage Act, the serial violations by Hillary Clinton. They're not worried about all the foreign money flowing into the Clinton Foundation, all the foreign money flowing into the Clinton family when she was Secretary of State due to his speeches and all the rest. They're not worried about any of that. No. You have foreign officials eating at a Trump restaurant in a Trump hotel, 
And that, you see, violates the Constitution for which Trump should be impeached. Have you ever heard anything so stupid? Yes. Them, over and over again. Cohen and other leaders of the impeachment effort, all six of them, disagreed that their effort could hurt Democrats in next year's congressional elections. I think the Democratic base needs to be activated. So he's giving it away. They're doing this to activate the Democrat base, which apparently is filled with buffoons and kooks. The Democrat base, in order to take the House so they can impeach Trump. I think the Democratic base needs to be activated. The Democratic base needs to know there are members of Congress willing to stand up against this president. What are you talking about, you schmo? Even these these fools like Corker and Flake are standing up to Trump. Wow, how powerful. Other lawmakers have signed on to the resolution are Democrat representatives Luis Gutierrez of Illinois. He's a fake and a fraud. Al Green of Texas. Marsha Fudge of Ohio, Adriano Espaliot of New York, and John Yarmouth of Kentucky. All triple backbenchers. Gutierrez says he wasn't afraid to support the resolution, despite the concerns of some fellow Democrats. I see a crime. That's because the man is blind. And I have a responsibility to dial 911 immediately. I hope so. Because an ambulance needs to put you in a white coat and take you to an insane asylum. I don't call and try to reach my consensus with all my neighbors and all my friends and those whose opinion I might seek out. There he is rambling like a buffoon. I don't even know what he's talking about. Do you? I don't know what he's talking about. And so uh, five articles to impeach the President of the United States. None of them. None of them. Is, uh, is appropriate or legitimate. Not one of them. But it won't matter. I've been talking about this silent coup for a very, very long time. It is a phrase I have popularized. I haven't coined it. There was a book called Silent Coup many, many years ago. But I have uh, reintroduced it into the public arena. And, of course, it's being used by others as well. Ah, fine. Go ahead. Use it. I get it. But whether it was an attack on the legitimacy of the election, an attack on the Electoral College... This uh, phony Russian collusion, which we now was uh, concocted, invented uh, by the Clinton campaign and the DNC via their bagman, uh, Mark Elias, a lawyer with a major law firm who then hired Fusion GPS and on and on and on. They concocted this whole scheme, which has resulted in a criminal investigation, which is outrageous, which is outrageous. And they're all waiting for Bob Mueller to tell them if the president should be impeached. They're going to hang on his every word because a prosecutor will say something that that they'll deem as an impeachable offense. Meanwhile, Menendez has been charged by prosecutors, and they haven't called for his resignation or his expulsion. Not once. None of them. Not one of them because they're frauds and phonies, because they're hypocrites. That's why. Let's go to Barbara, Woodbridge, New Jersey, the great WABC. How are you, Barbara? I'm good listening to you because um, you just you hit everything right on the head. This guy Gutierrez, I saw him the other day when they were interviewing Jeff, Sef- Jeff Sessions, and it was unbelievable. I think the man is a lunatic. Uh, he is a lunatic. That is not why I called. He uh, represents uh, the lunatic uh, wing of the 
of the Democrat Party, no question about it. Well, but there's many of them who do. Go right ahead. Well, my problem is really, um, I, I explained to your um, call screener, I, I am 74 years old. My husband died of Alzheimer's, oh, 13 years ago. Oh, I had to retire early to um, take care of him. I have mm-hmm. no children. I live by myself. Um, I have an, an income between Social Security and my pension and, you know, part of what his pension was that he had to mm-hmm. take early. Um, I, I make $41,000. He and I both worked at the same company for all our careers. I never mm-hmm. collected a dime of unemployment, neither did he. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to save some money. We have no children. I have no family. All right. um, so we, I have um, a 401 k 401Ks became IRAs, and that gives me an income of 30000 a year that I have to take out. It's mandatory. With this new okay. tax proposal, yep. Yep. I am going to have an increase of $6,000 in, in my taxes? federal tax. No one, is, no one told me that if I had a 401K, which was supposed to be taxed at a later rate, a lesser mm-hmm. rate when I got older, that it would end up going to the government. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't understand, you know... They're hurting senior citizens. This this is why they say, Barbara, this is why they say, the average person within this group, have you noticed that phraseology being used? The average person within this group will see their taxes go down. Well, what if you're not the average person within some fictional group? This is what I was explaining before, Barbara. They talk about, oh, you're in the middle class. Oh, you're in the lower middle. Oh, you're going to benefit from this. When you file your taxes, Barbara, you file your taxes, right? Yes. You don't file on behalf of a state. You live in a blue state. You don't file on behalf of a group. You file it on your own behalf. And that's what I'm talking about. When you listen to the even the language that these Republicans are using, you know this is a bait and switch. All right, Barbara, I have to go. I, I'm sorry. I wish you well. And, I, and I'll tell you, my view is go ahead and cut the corporate rate. 35 to 20 percent, and when it comes to the individual side of the tax code, leave it alone. Because you guys are doing more damage than you're doing good. Just leave it alone. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Nina, San Francisco, California, the great KSFO. Go. I love you. Golly. Okay, Mr. Levin, I'm an entrepreneur in California, which is a nightmare in and of itself. I bet. And when I, yeah, it is. And I'm starting a business and I had a business plan all developed and I have objectives to meet. And hearing about this tax proposal made me completely crestfallen. Why would I want to, you, you said the magic word in your last hour. You said, It's obscuring mobility, which is exactly what these people are trying to do. It removes incentives to do better. Why would I want to make a million dollars if I know immediately that the first 500000 is going to be taken from me? Why wouldn't I just reduce my expectations of my own performance? And it's ridiculous. But that's what it's been designed to do. That's what it does in practice. It removes our ability and other – and I wish young people knew this, that this whole – Let me just correct one thing. It would be the first dollar – if you're single, the first dollar 
uh, after a million, they would take half of it. So okay, well, that problem is if the problem is if you're growing at the very time you need those assets, you need the capital. Well, as you're growing, they're going to whack you. It's ridiculous. I mean, at what point do we stop? Give, I mean, it's ridiculous to have to build a plan around how big not to get. I mean, think about that. As a well small said. business owner, now I have to sit down with my CPA and say, at what point do I stop growing because it's not worth it any longer? It's ridiculous or, to me. Or buying property. Let's say you own a property, and now you have to think about buying another property because there's a limit, a rather uh, small limit, a low limit, I might say, on the interest deduction you can take on your mortgage. So... Again, this will definitely affect various markets. It'll affect various businesses. It'll affect various motivations and attitudes. Rather than just slashing it across the board on the individual income taxes and make a defense of it, they're busy talking like leftists. It's crazy. It's a bunch of fraternity boys out there, and they're making decisions for me that affect my life. And when you said that word mobility, I just screamed because I've been screaming that to everyone I know lately. Like they're trying to reduce our ability. And, and this is across the board. It's not just me. Like you said, it's every individual. And it doesn't even matter how much they make. It's the young people in Silicon Valley who are trying to start their lives. And it's the people who are maybe less fortunate. The concept is that you cannot keep what you earn anymore. You have to be prepared to give it away. And that's infuriating to me. You're terrific. Let me put it in the words of leftists so they understand. They're creating a glass ceiling for upward mobility. That's what they're doing. If if you're going to lose 50%, 40%, whatever it is, 60%, depending on state tax, and you're going to get killed in California with the highest state income tax rate in the country and the inability to deduct it and on and on and on, if you are going to start really majorly uh, confiscating Income legitimately earned from individuals who go over a million dollars, you are creating a glass, a glass ceiling for small businesses, for individuals, for farmers, for all kinds of people. It is a glass ceiling because for some reason the government has decided at that amount they get to steal more of your money. Exactly. You're good enough. You've achieved enough according to what we believe. You don't need any more. Stay put. Be happy. And when you get older, like that blessed woman that called from New York, we're going to take more from you in the end anyway. So screw it. And look, how, and look who's affected. In this tidal wave of class warfare, they pretend that they want to represent the proletariat. And in effect, they whack the proletariat. Exactly. All right, Nina. Thank you for your call and good luck with your business. Kathy, quickly, Scranton, Pennsylvania, the great WTRW. Go. Hey, Mark. Hi, Kathy. Um, about the taxes. Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, they're all out there. Oh, the tax break. People are going to get this big tax break and they're going to save, you know, $1,600 a year and, and they're going to get an extra credit and, but they're taking away the exemptions. So somebody that has to pay taxes on $17,000 a year and after the 24000 now they took away those exemptions. And they're taking the money that you owe, now you owe 10, 12% on it instead of 10%. All right, Kathy, I appreciate your call. I don't plan, uh, pretend to be a CPA, but I understand enough of this to know it sucks. I'll be right back. 
Levin, the voice the liberals want to silence. But you can talk to Mark at 877-381-3811. What if you're forced to pull the trigger? Do you know exactly what to say when the police arrive? Look, these are important things every responsible gun owner needs to know, right? And you'll find all the answers in the USCCA's Complete Concealed Carry and Family Defense Guide, but you're about to miss your chance to get yours completely free. In your 164-page guide and free audiobook, you'll learn how to detect attackers before they see you, the safest and most dangerous places to sit in a restaurant, how to responsibly own and store a gun even if you have little ones, and a lot more. But they're only offering this to you, my listeners, for a few more days. So if you want your free copy, you must hurry. If you act fast, you'll even get a bonus home defense checklist. Simply head over to DefendThem.com right now to get yours before it's gone. That's DefendThem.com. DefendThem.com. All right. Let's see what else is cooking out there. Let us go to Thomas. Boca Raton, Florida, the great WJNO country, where my buddy Brian Mudd is a host, program director there, really good man, as are others. Go right ahead. Hey, Mark, big fan uh, since uh, I read Plunder and Defeat. But, um, you know, um, looking at this tax tax deal, you know, I own a company myself. I'm a, I'm a young entrepreneur, but... You know, we're, we're an S corp, so the corporate tax really doesn't affect us. And it's really, if it's going to be at 20%, it's really not going to go low enough for me to switch the company to a, to a corporation. So in that case, and in many businesses, you know, the cor- corporate tax cut really doesn't do much for those individuals. And then, you know, the rest of these taxes, it's just a huge disappointment. Um, mm-hmm. I fought like, like hell to, uh, to get crews or, someone more conservative uh during the primaries you know but i keep i keep hearing criticism leveled at mcconnell and ryan but let's look in the mirror and we need to level some criticism at the president he's not he's not being a leader on big bold ideas and at the end of the day if he keeps ceding leadership to mcconnell and ryan you know it is it is rather strange i mean he's back from asia now and he, let, he leaves it to these guys, whether it's repealing Obamacare, whether it is securing the border um, and working out a deal through the budget on that, or whether it is the tax cut. You're right. I mean, and McConnell and, and Ryan, as we now see, are going to disappoint every time. It, it is odd that the president isn't hands-on on this stuff. Yeah, I, I watch, and I'm, I'm dismayed. Um... I don't even know what ideology we're fighting for. It's at this point the president talks about wins and losses, but he never gives bold speeches about conservative values. He's not looking for. I mean, well, I can answer that. The president is not a philosophical conservative, nor is he a, a an ideological nationalist populist. And I've talked about this before, but. Uh, he is. I think most of his views are conservative. But he may not come at it the way we do. He has different experiences, different belief systems, perhaps, and so forth. But on the main, in the main and on the whole, he's been really quite good. He's been quite good. I think he's been better than a lot of the Republicans he was running against, whether it's Kasich or Lindsey Graham and, and Jeb Bush and, and so many others. He actually, in, in many ways, has been very solid. 
The problem here is if the Republicans would actually give him an across-the-board tax cut, I think he'd, he'd sign it. If they would have given him a repeal in Obamacare, I think he would have signed it. But you're right. You're right about uh, if the president would really take hold of this thing and tell them exactly what he wants across the board, the biggest tax cuts in American history, but he's not doing it. I, I right? get the impression it's. I get the impression it's. Uh, you know, he, he talks and talks and talks. I mean, he talks a good game. He said he was going to end the Iran deal. He said all this stuff, and and then it pushed. Comes well, let me down. tell you. I think uh, while I would have seen the like to have seen the Iran deal ended, I think he did something that very few Republican presidents would do. I don't think he deserves criticism on that. And I hope in the end he does end the Iran deal. So that's still playing out. But he's also done something that. Washington doesn't like Bob Corker doesn't like it. None of them like it. So in the Iran deal, I think he's been quite solid. Our deficit's growing. Nothing's well, being done. Well, that's true. That's true. I don't even know what we. What, I feel like I, I feel like we're not even. Uh, don't even have a majority. It's uh, very funny. All right, buddy. Listen, I want you to do something. I want you to uh, go go have a piece of cake, a piece of chocolate, something. And, uh, and, and, uh, don't, don't get so down. Don't get so down. I mean, I, I've been there. I know what you're feeling. We gotta keep fighting, okay? Alright, Mark. Alright, buddy. Thank you. Uh-oh, I don't think I have a customer there, Mr. Producer. I don't think he's with me. Don, Jacksonville, Florida, the great WBOB. Go. Hello, Mark. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, first thing I would like to say is I would like your thoughts, and I'll hang up and let you address it. Well, don't hang Congress, up. Just give me your question. Okay. If, if Congress truly wanted to eliminate the income tax disparity mm-hmm. in this country, mm-hmm. why don't they simply implement a federal sales tax? Mm-hmm. The that fair way, tax. If you, if you, the least you, the less you spend, the less you pay. The mm-hmm. more you spend. The more taxes you pay, well, exactly. everyone would be spending an e- paying an equal amount. And you have a real tax collector. You don't need the IRS. Well, sir, I agree with your position. Uh, there are others who agree with your position, but apparently there's not a single voice for it in the United States Congress. So why won't Congress do it? Congress obviously likes the tax code. I don't know how else to explain it. In addition to sexual harassment, Congress actually likes the tax code. Well, What else can I tell you? I think that's... It's a sad fact. It'd be so easily fixed if they wanted to fix it. And I just wanted to uh, get that out there and get your opinion. And I just want to tell you, I appreciate your show and you so much. You you do so yeah. much for this country. You're very kind. Let me ask you something, Don. Do you have CRTV yet? No, I don't, Mark. Would you like to? Oh, I would like it so much. All right, don't hang up. I want to get you a free annual subscription to CRTV. Thank you for your call, my friend. Don't hang up. Doug, Indianapolis, Indiana, one of my favorite cities, and I mean it, the great WFDM. Go. Hi, Mark. I tried to catch you at the 2014 NRI show, but I missed you. But, hey, I don't understand. The guy stole my thunder of a previous call, but... Yeah. Uh, I don't understand why they can't go with a a, a straight tax. Mm-hmm. Leave us, let us take all of our money home, and when we go out and buy something, then we pay a certain tax: seven percent, ten percent, twelve percent, whatever they come up with. They will get so much on a return; it's not even funny. But I'll tell you why they won't do it. 
it takes their power away. They can't redistribute wealth. They, the lobbyists aren't going to be knocking on their doors anymore. You've got people now who are invested heavily uh, from a power perspective and a financial perspective in the Internal Revenue Code. They like being able to go up to Mitch McConnell and cutting a deal and then giving him a major campaign contribution. If you had a nice tax, a, a, a nice clean tax system, uh, the national sales tax, and of course you would have to, uh, um, you'd have to repeal the 16th Amendment. You don't want to have a national sales tax like a VAT tax, and then all of a sudden you have an income tax on top of it. So, but I agree with you. And, you know, I'm, I'm supporting the Convention of States, Article 5, to eliminate the progressive income tax. It's nothing progressive about it. It's regressive. It, uh, it destroys jobs. It destroys, um, uh, opportunities. It destroys people who are trying to climb up the ladder of success. But, uh, we don't have people who support this in, in the federal government. We just don't. I think so. I know so. Yep. And it's, it's terrible. It's terrible for our country. All right, my friend. I appreciate your call. Let's continue. Um, Salam, I think it is, right, Mr. Call Screener? Is that right? Salome. You say salam, I say salam. You say tomato, I say tomato. Coral Springs, Florida, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, sir? Hello? Well, Salam Salome is gone. Mike, Colorado Springs, Colorado, the great KVOR. Go. Mark, you rock massively. Um, This show in particular. I'm thinking of going back to the draft Levin 2024 meeting. Well, uh, don't waste your time. But anyway, thank you. (laughs) You uh, were appropriate calling for the resignation of Ryan and McConnell. I... Do declare, and uh, at the very least, yes, they need to name those members, and this is a big problem, and it needs to be addressed. And yes, once again, you have a voice in the wilderness. And uh, and why are the, you the only one talking about it? Uh, because they because of another big problem, and a program narrative of the media. Um, so they didn't. They didn't sign up. This is just one election for them that they need mm-hmm. to wreck for this one Republican. Nobody's doing this. Anytime you're looking at the kind of corruption in in this deep problem that that you are calling attention to in Congress needs to have a free press to help it out. Mm-hmm. And and we don't have it. Isn't it hilarious how the so-called free press says they're defending free press? They're not defending the freedom of the press. They're defending the freedom of liberals to dress themselves up as journalists. Uh-huh. You can't watch CNN and this guy Cuomo and Lemon and uh, Stetler and all these fools and say, wow, they're the defenders of the free press. They're the defenders of news. No, they're not. They're propagandists. They're leftists. And they're out of the closet now. They don't even pretend. Well, when you have a program narrative of any kind, whether it's Marxist or not, it actually, I mean, it precludes most investigative, true, genuine investigative Mm -hmm. journalism. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be discarded in favor of unfettered journalism. Yeah, well, Um, there's really no way to do that. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
You know, life is stressful. It's even more so when the IRS is after you for back taxes. You may not think you own them, that you have back taxes, but IRS may dis- disagree with you. You agonize when they'll show up, right? Seize your bank account, put a lien on your home, or garnish your wages. It was even worse for Lori. Lori was engaged, but knew bringing 25 grand of IRS debt into the marriage was no way to start her new life. So Lori did something really smart. She called Optima Tax Relief. Optima stepped between Lori and the IRS, analyzed her case, and uncovered some game-changing facts that allowed them to settle her case in her favor. When Optima told Lori that her IRS problems were over, she called it the happiest call of her life, and her wedding was back on. Optima has resolved over half a billion dollars in tax debt for their clients, and they're rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau. Getting your life back starts the moment you call Optima for your free consultation. So I want to strongly encourage you to do it right now. Call 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. Optima Tax Relief, ladies and gentlemen, they are the best. They're the best by far. Valerie. Los Angeles, California, on the Mark Levin app. Go! Hi, Mark. Yes. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you very much for taking my call. You I'm, got it. And thank you very much for doing this great job. I listen to you every day, even at work. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so my question is, I, I, I'm yeah. calling from Los Angeles. I'm a yeah. huge uh, mega, megapolis, right? Yeah. And uh, the, the, some more and more people... In the, this huge, uh, huge cities, rent mm-hmm. nowadays. Mm-hmm. So this, the, the tax proposal is probably what, what I what I understand will benefit those those people, because uh, before the people who rent they, they they did not have the opportunity to write off mortgages, and people people who own here's the property- pro- here's the problem that people who rent are going to face if uh, one of these proposals goes through limiting interest deductions, and I don't know how it's going to work for business interest deductions. Uh, people who own homes or may own a condominium or may own an apartment uh, and rent them out, uh, they may not be able to deduct the interest uh, that they're paying on their mortgage, or they may not be able to deduct the property tax that they're paying on the property. So guess that what's going to happen to the renter? The rent's going to go up. Yes. The rent is going to go up. It has a, uh, a, a, a an effect down the chain. So uh, if the person who owns the property that you're renting uh, finds themselves in a scenario where the taxes that they pay on the property that you're living in can't be deducted or uh, in an aggregate the interest can't be deducted and they own several properties, well, then guess what? The renter is going to have to help make up the difference. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yes, yes. So, but but, uh, but before or now, they, they are able to write off uh, their, their mortgages, right? Now, let's say you're not the renter. The interest, not the mortgage. They're able to write off the interest and the property tax. The, the interest and people who rented, they did not have this opportunity. Well, so because they don't own anything. Right. There's nothing to write off. They're not writing off their 
bank payment. They're writing off their interest. And in doing that, uh, whether it's a commercial property or residential property, um, you know, if, if they're not able to do that, I think you're going to see your rents go up. Uh, okay, I see. So this is only, it seems that uh, uh, the people who rent might get some... Uh, yeah, the people might... who rent are, are, are not going to get any relief. I don't see how they get any relief whatsoever. When it comes to mortgages, they don't get any direct benefit, but they do get an indirect benefit. That is, if a uh, if a landlord or a property owner can keep their costs down, then presumably they can keep their rates down. But if they can't, they're going to pass them along, just like with a product. If a product is taxed and taxed and taxed and it goes up in price, well, the, the consumer is going to have to pay a higher price for it. Correct. Yes. I understand now. So it's all, all right, my friend. <laughs> thank you very much again. All right. And God bless you, and thank you for calling. It was a very good question. Jennifer, also in Los Angeles on Sirius Satellite. Go. Hi, Mark. It's an honor to, uh, you're a great American and it's an honor to actually speak with you over the phone. I actually used to handle international tax and yeah. what I see in a wide scope, I think everybody should take a step back, including Ryan and McConnell, and they should look at people that are investing, the billionaires that are investing internationally and mm-hmm. do a capital gains tax on the stocks and the commodities and all the things that they get, uh, that they invest billions of dollars in and tax that rather than uh, ride off the backs of hardworking American people of the middle and lower class. Well, um, see, here's where you and I disagree. I don't pretend to understand everything you said, but I do understand enough to know they just need to slash taxes across the board so people aren't pointing at each other and say, tax that guy, no tax that guy, no save the middle class, no get the upper class. No, This is the problem with this. We're individuals, we have businesses, we work for businesses, we through our pensions, we invest in businesses. You want a healthy economic environment where you're not creating balkanization based on economic condition. Anyway, ma'am, I want to thank you for your call very, very much. I hope you check out Levin TV tonight. It is a blockbuster. And it's a two-part series tonight and tomorrow night, by the way. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And guess what? I'll see you right here tomorrow. Keep your chins up. Those of you with double chins, keep them both up. God bless you.